As the kids are heading to Bible adventures, um, I want to give you one final um, word, announcement, before we head into hearing Scripture this morning. Uh, we have been spending the last couple of weeks uh, talking about a particular section of First Peter's letter, which is about submission. And uh, we've heard from the word preached. Drew has brought the word to us. Lee has brought the word to us. And I will bring the word to us together around this common theme. And next week is sort of kind of kind of summarizing that section. And I've always believed that preaching is, is more of a conversation than it is a lecture. Um, the words that God gives to me or whoever is filling the pulpit are intended to spark conversation amongst our community. Um, whether I'm a part of those conversations, if you come and talk to me or not, the desire is God's word stimulates us talking together. So in that spirit and in the spirit of this is a very challenging part of this letter and, and something we don't talk a lot about in the church, next week what I'm going to invite you to do and I'm going to invite you this morning to prepare is I'm going to, uh, going to allow some time for questions that I will answer to you based upon what we've been talking about. It's about submission and suffering in the context of our faith in Christ. What I want you to do, though, is I either want you to write your question down on uh, the Kairos card or something else that's in your bulletin and hand it to me today or bring it to the office or email me. And then from those questions, there'll be a time I'll, I'll talk a little bit about submission the next passage of scripture at the beginning, and I'll close it. But in between, I will answer questions that you give to me because I'm curious, and I want to hear what, what, is, what thoughts, what questions is this bringing up for you, and I want to speak to those for us as a community as a whole. So if you have a question, um, please send it to me, to my email, which is in the bulletin, or write it down today or later on this week and drop it by the church office, and that will be what we'll be doing in our services next week as our time of, uh, of the sermon comes around. So like I said, for the last few weeks... We've been wrestling with Peter's practical instructions. I mean, we want to get practical. Peter's been practical about what it means to be a disciple or a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And his guidance to us has continued to revolve around a single word, submission. And we'll find out next week from the questions. But if you've been struggling with Peter's call to submission, how he articulates it here, I want to just caution you that things aren't going to get any easier today. Having applied his rationale to the realms of government, as Drew took us through that, and the workplace, as Lee took us through that last week, Peter now is going to narrow his focus to an even more intimate relationship, marriage. Getting to the heart of God's word for us in this passage, i got to tell you, is going to require some patience. It's going to require some humility. And it's going to require us to lower our guard. We're going to need, and this is, we're going, to, we're going to start here in just a second after we hear the word, we're going to need to acknowledge our misperceptions and our erroneous application of Peter's guidance here. We're going to need to recognize, in order to be able to hear what God is trying to say to us, we're going to need to recognize and confess some terrible behavior and long-standing abuse that have resulted from our distortion and corruption of Peter's words here. But I want to say to you this morning, if we choose to move forward in faith rather than fear, if we honestly and openly submit before the whole counsel of God, I think we can discover that Peter's words, while specifically addressed to a husband and a wife, are not just for those who are married. What he teaches us is applicable. It's transformative to all of our relationships within our family and among our friends. 
In that spirit, I invite you to open up your Bibles, the Bible you brought with you, the Bible on your phone or iPad or the Bible that's there in the pew. 1 Peter chapter 3, 8.51 if you're using that pew Bible. 1 Peter chapter 3, and I invite us to hear the word of the Lord. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, all marital problems, all marital problems, and for that matter, all conflict in relationships go back to the beginning. The book of Genesis teaches that the world we inhabit today is not the one God our Father originally designed for us as human beings. Creation as it was intended for us before it was tainted by sin was perfect in every sense, including human relationships. Adam and Eve, male and female, are described as inextricably tied to each other, living together in perfect, loving communion without domination over or subordination to each other. But as we all know, Sin changes everything for the worse. When our first father and mother disobeyed God and decided they wanted to live life on their own terms, their union and harmony turned to division and chaos. Where once they were naked and unashamed before God and each other, they hid in the darkness of the shadows, burdened with guilt. Their beautifully transparent and mutual relationship of one flesh warped into a bitter rivalry where blame shifting and opposition became the norm of their relationship. How quickly did Adam throw his wife under the bus? When he first rejoiced in her as bones of my bone, flesh of my flesh, in sin, he saw her as a stumbling block and blamed her for his own disobedience. This woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Eve wasn't immune from the effects of this rupture in their relationship either. God explained the lasting damage that had been done. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. This desire is not the desire of romantic love, by the way. 
It's the same desire spoken of in the very next chapter of Genesis where sin crouches at Cain's door and its desire is for him. This desire is the desire for control. Generations later, all marital conflict, all relational problems, relationship problems come back to this fundamental breakdown when mutual submission in love became a battle of the sexes. And the battle for control, the battle against submission, rages on. The battle rages on as husbands continue to dismiss their wives, as men continue to dismiss women as if they can image God without them. The battle rages on as husbands domineer over their wives, as if submission is supposed to be for the man's own comfort and well-being. The battle rages on as wives belittle their husbands, as women wrongly point to the failures of men as evidence that men aren't needed in their lives. The battle rages on as wives passively, aggressively take control of their families as if submission is conditional, depending on the behavior of their husbands. I'll be the kind of wife I should be if he's the kind of husband he should be. And my friends, the battle rages on even in the church. As differing and opposed interpretations of texts like these have spurred more division and even greater separation between the two sexes. So in order to receive the full measure of what Peter is offering us here, we need to begin by clarifying our understanding of this passage as a whole. And in order to do this, and this is not typically my practice when I preach, in order to do this, we need to start by addressing three specific issues with the text. And as I read it out loud, I could feel the, the pulse change in the room. So let's take the first three. First, Peter speaks of wives, of women, as the weaker partner. Weaker partner, as Peter writes it here, is not to be taken morally, spiritually or intellectually. The actual word he uses is vessel, and it's used throughout the body, the Bible, to refer to the body. It simply means women have less physical strength than men. That's what Peter's getting at, and he's specifically referring to it in the context in which he's writing, the world in which he's a part of. Second, Peter, when he, Peter talks of Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord, Peter is not commanding women to call their husband master. Sorry, guys. <laughs> the word Lord that Peter uses here is a polite form of address that could be translated sir. This, this moment that he's referring to, by the way, occurs in Genesis 18, 12, if you want to look it up, when Sarah is speaking to herself. While alone in the tent, she calls Abraham her Lord. Sarah is being used as an example of a wife displaying loving respect toward her husband. And finally, here's the big one. Since Peter only uses the word submission in relation to wives to their husbands, some argue submission in marriage is only the duty of wives. But what I'm going to say to you is this ignores the immediate context of Peter's instructions. P 
Peter, if you read it carefully, is specifically calling wives who are disciples of Christ to submit as a means of reaching husbands who do not share their faith in Jesus. And what's interesting is historical research has shown that one of the primary ways the gospel spread in the first couple of centuries was through women, not men. Why? Because in pagan society back in the time of Christ and in the time when Peter's writing, male children were valued more than female children. It was not uncommon in pagan families if they had a second expensive annoyance of a female child a second female child, that they would often expose that child. And what that means is they would either throw that child out the door to starve or to be eaten by animals or to be picked up and reared into slavery. But with the coming of Christ, the death and resurrection of Christ, in the midst of pagan society, Christian families refused to do this. And they often adopted abandoned female children. They adopted children, females who were left exposed. And eventually, you can guess what happens. Eventually, there were more Christian women than non-Christian women available for men. Imagine that. There were more Christian women than non-Christian women available for men, so unbelieving husbands often married women of faith in Christ. Hence, Peter's specific instructions here. But I'll go bigger than that. To argue submission in marriage is the duty only of wives also, I think, ignores the broader context of Peter's call to submission and his repeated use, if you have your Bible open, of the phrase, in the same way. Peter begins way, way back by telling us to submit to every government authority. Then he tells us to be submissive in our places of work and service. And then he says, wives, in the same way, be submissive to your own husbands. And then he says, husbands, in the same way, live together with your wives. You'll notice what I didn't word, what words I cut out there. He writes, husbands in the same way, live together with your wives. Because, little sidebar, the NIV Bibles that we have here add the words, be considerate to Peter's instructions for husbands. If you look in the Greek, the original language which Peter wrote, the words are not there. It says, in the same way, live together with your wives. The Greek does not use the word submit when Peter addresses husbands, but I think it's implied by the use of the adjective in the same way, which links what's been said before with all the other verses about submission. So to recap, if you're with me, just so we understand before we go further, wives, women are not told to submit because they are inferior. Male and female are both created in the image of God. Genesis tells us that Adam was incomplete apart from Eve. The creation of humanity was only good when Adam and Eve existed together as one flesh. From the beginning, God gives humans, male and female, together rule over the earth and animals. Furthermore, husbands, men, are not to lord over their wives. Men are not to lord over women. Submission within relationships, in marriages, is never to be demanded. Never to be demanded. Submission is for the spouse, the person to give not to demand. Peter isn't demanding obedience to each other, though obedience is involved in submission. Peter is asking for an attitude, calling for a posture of submission that is voluntary, that is freely given by one person to another. 
And finally, Peter's call for submission is mutual. It is not exclusive to women, to wives. My friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ, as Peter and Paul will write, the gospel of Jesus Christ is about the curse of sin, the divide and tension between men and women, husbands and wives being undone. Therefore, Peter's counsel here is intended not for us to construct prisons for each other, but to be set free. Not for us to, to claim superiority or domination over each other, but to experience Christ's victory in our mutual flourishing together. Peter says specifically to the husbands, your wives are heirs with you of the grace of life. The promises and privileges of salvation are equal and shared. Now, the witness of Scripture, just as a little sidebar, because I think it's helpful, the witness of Scripture reveals that God has given men and women, husbands and wives, different roles to fulfill. Men and women do trend towards being more adept and gifted in some attributes according to their gender. This is what makes men and women, husbands and wives, interdependent in their relationship with each other. We see this diversity, this interdependence in the distinctive roles of a mom and a dad. Both work together in raising a family, but sometimes you just need mom. And sometimes it's something only dad can handle. In family situations where there's not a mom or not a dad, they have to adapt. But that doesn't mean ideally, the way that God intended, there's a need for both a mom and a dad. The different roles we play as husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, do not imply inequality or superiority over each other. If I'm playing in a baseball game and an umpire makes a call I'm supposed to abide by, that doesn't mean he's superior to me. In a different context, he may have to submit to me. Mutual submission which is what the gospel is about, is the very basis of the Trinity. One God, three persons. All three persons are equally God. That's what we profess. Yet Jesus said he was submitted to the Father. Equal in essence, different in role. So, what I'm saying, what I think is so important, while we should read this passage recognizing our different gifts as men and women, our distinctive roles as husbands and wives, we cannot, we must not divide Peter's guidance regarding submission to only apply to one gender or one role or the other. To carve up this passage and others like it into, into this is what women, wives, have to do versus this is what men, husbands, have to do is to miss the larger point Peter is making here. The differentiation between our genders, our roles, is not the basis of our submission to each other. The basis of our submission to each other is our mutual dependence upon and responsibility to Christ. Please hear that. If we're spending our time haggling over where the lines of submission are to be drawn, then we're not submitting we're not submitting to Peter's counsel here. We're trying to control it. The wisdom and perspective Peter offers us is therefore, I think, applicable both to husbands and wives, absolutely, but I also think it's applicable to men and women in their relationships with each other. So, kind of getting that as a foundation, what is the primary insight that Peter gives us? 
Peter's insight about submission in this context, relationships, marriage specifically, is conveyed to us, if you noticed, by way of commenting on fashion trends in Rome. In his day, elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold ornaments or fine clothes were all the rage. Interestingly, not much has changed. <laughs> Styles have changed, but the emphasis on the external has not now, Peter, again, another misunderstanding here, isn't prohibiting the braiding of hair or the wearing of jewelry. Peter is distinguishing between a person's outward or external appearance and one's inner character and internal disposition. As other scriptures echo, God never judges a book by its cover. Our Father looks at the heart. In other words, biblical submission isn't a matter of what we say. It's not a matter of how we conduct ourselves on the surface of things. True, righteous submission is what Peter describes as the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. What does this mean? This kernel that Peter points to. Well, let's take it, break it down. Gentleness. Gentleness or meekness, a word we don't use very much, but a, a synonym for gentleness. Gentleness or meekness is often a misunderstood word, right? We often associate gentleness or meekness with being weak, allowing others to step on and walk all over us. But the word actually carries the idea of strength under control, not weakness. It was used in Peter's time to refer to a stallion, a trained war horse that does not flinch but maintains its composure in the heat of battle is called gentle or meek. Jesus, interestingly, used the word to describe himself. Do you remember? Come all to me, unto me, all you who are heavy laden and burdened, and learn from me, for I am gentle, I am meek and humble of heart. Jesus displayed the strength of character of gentleness when he submitted on the cross to the mocking of the crowd, refusing to come down and prove who he was and instead praying for his father's forgiveness of them. Gentleness or meekness of spirit is the first characteristic of biblical submission. Not just for women, for us all. It shows itself by allowing a person to act in accordance with the will of God with all the strength of God, while at the same time demonstrating the kindness of God. Such gentleness goes hand in hand with a quiet spirit, which is why Peter puts them together. You see, a quiet spirit is one that calmly bears the disturbances created by others without creating disturbances. You know what I'm talking about, right? A quiet spirit is the person who can see things on fire and doesn't throw gasoline on the fire. Such quietness that Peter talks about comes from trusting, submitting one's hopes and cares to the Lord, resting in God regardless of the flames that are around us. Finding peace in God allows one to be at peace with those around me. It, it, it enables me to be able to diffuse a tense situation, a moment marked by anxiety, by speaking kindly or by being able to just listen attentively and say nothing at all. 
My friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, do we possess what Peter describes as having such great worth in God's sight? Are we looking to and learning from Jesus, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to develop a gentle and quiet spirit in our relationship with others? What does that practically look like in a relationship? What does that practically look like? It looks, as Peter describes it, like the example that Abraham's wife Sarah gives to us. It looks, as he specifically directs husbands to treat their wives, it looks like respect. Loving and honoring each other as persons rather than treating each other as objects at our disposal. Means to our ends. What is such a spirit, a gentle and quiet spirit, what does respect look like? Practically, it's a husband or wife not secretly manipulating or attempting to change his or her spouse through nagging or shaming. It is replacing passive aggressiveness in our relationships with family and friends, often expressed through pouting, sulking, bargaining, lecturing, humiliating, replacing all of those passive aggressive tendencies with a commitment to encourage to protect and serve the other person. Because you see, when we abandon a gentle and quiet spirit in our marriages and other relationships, when we abandon a gentle and quiet spirit for strong arm tactics and coercive scheming, understand, we aren't submitting to each other. We're trying to control each other. We aren't trusting in God. We're trusting in ourselves. Because a gentle and quiet spirit is an expression of voluntary unselfishness, of one's willingness and cooperation to seek the highest good of the other person. Maintaining a gentle and quiet spirit, showing honor and loving respect, doesn't mean that we simply let the people in our lives go. It doesn't mean we ignore or excuse unhealthy or destructive behaviors or patterns in their lives. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that we seek God's grace for them by serving them and not enabling them. It does mean that we're committed to pray for them, recognizing only God can change a person. Please hear that this morning. Only God can change a person. Quick pulse check. Bring this close to home, as it were. When you have a bad thought about your husband or wife, your son, your daughter, your mom, your dad, when you have a bad thought about your husband or wife or someone in your life, when you have a bad thought about them, whether justified or not, do you pray for him or her and ask God to change him? Do you stop and pray for him or her and ask God to change him? Or do you save that bad thought? Do you hold on to that critical comment to share with someone else later? True biblical submission in relationships, marriage and otherwise, is a mark of security and faith, not insecurity and fear. It is the recognition that we are responsible, we ourselves are responsible for being changed, not for changing others, not for changing our husbands, not for changing our wives, not for changing our children, not for changing our parents. And it is in our submission to our spouses to our parents, to our children, that we demonstrate 
our security and our faith rather than our insecurity and our fear. Beloved, is your submission to your spouse, to other people in your life, is it done in an effort? Do you submit in an effort to change them? Or do you submit as a result of having been changed, being transformed, set free in Christ? For those of you who are not married, who are seriously reconsidering it all together right now, For those of you who are not married, but want to be, or for those of you who are married, but never considered marriage in the context of following Jesus, this text is meant to show us what marriage is really all about. As a Christian, as a Christian, underline, marriage is not primarily a vehicle for personal affirmation, self-fulfillment, or even happiness, then why bother getting married? <laughs> While there's nothing wrong with these things as far as they go, there's nothing wrong with personal affirmation, there's nothing wrong with self-fulfillment, and then there's nothing wrong with happiness. There's nothing wrong with these things as far as they go. Christian marriage is primarily about two broken sinners living and learning together out of their faith and hope in Jesus Christ. Please hear that. And when you, when you want to defend marriage, be sure you're defending Christian marriage. It is about two broken sinners living and learning together out of their faith, hope, and love in Jesus Christ. You know, people say, and this is where I'm speaking to you if you're not married yet, people say, we still say it, opposites attract. But the truth is, spiritual likes attract. If you're trying to catch someone... I'm talking to any college student or single person here who looks to get married. If you're trying to catch someone by how you look, then you better look out for who you catch. <laughs> Keep listening. If you're trying to be with someone whom you believe you can change or whom you think will change you, Stop before you hurt someone or yourself. Being ready to be married is about taking the time to work on who you are in the Lord, your identity in Christ. If you don't give your attention to your relationship with Jesus first, before you get married, you are likely to make your spouse into a false messiah or to find yourself become one for him. And then you will spend the rest of your marriage crucifying each other for not living up to the hype. That is why Peter gives us a warning about engaging marriage in the wrong way at the end of this passage. When we are not submitting to our spouse, treating him or her with loving respect and service, our relationship with the Lord, Peter writes, will be impacted. Our dysfunction in our relationship with our spouse will create obstacles, distractions, and hindrances in our prayer life with God. There is no such thing as a perfect husband or wife. God knows I try. <laughs> There is no such thing as a perfect husband or wife. 
The only one who is perfect for you and for me is Jesus. What Peter is revealing to us is marriage. Christian marriage is a platform for proclaiming Christ and a partnership for growing in grace. So if you're not married and you're looking to get married someday, here's my word to you from the word of God. Pray and look for a spouse who loves Christ more than you. Who is willing to patiently serve you, to encourage you to love Jesus the same way. When you find that person, that's someone worth spending the rest of your life with. You know, it's funny, the, the, um, maybe not funny, maybe sad. The oldest traditional wedding vows can be traced back, did you know this, to the Middle Ages? To the Middle Ages. And the groom, back then, and for a long while afterwards, the groom would promise to love, honor, and worship. While the bride would promise to love, honor, and worship obey. Middle Ages. We've been splitting hairs and arguing as husbands and wives, men and women, ever since. This breakdown, this breakdown in the relationship specifically between a husband and a wife and more broadly between men and women is not what God our Father desires. As Peter has laid out for us, God desires to transform our relationships with each other. That's what God wants to do. Transform our relationship with him and transform our relationship with each other. The gospel that is ours in Christ is, as Peter wrote earlier, about calling us out of darkness into his marvelous light. The death and resurrection of Jesus is meant to bring life and health and wholeness. It's meant to undo the curse of death and shattered relationships between men and women. Peter is teaching us here and through this whole letter. He's teaching us how to live as the new people of God, how to follow the pattern of life Jesus left for us. So whether you're married or hope to be married, whether you're a husband or a wife or a child living with one or both parents, this pattern of life can be summed up in one word, love. But it's a pattern of life best demonstrated through submission. In any relationship, any relationship, if I'm focusing, if all I'm focusing on is the bare minimum I have to submit, then I'm not truly yielding. I'm not honestly seeking the benefit of that other person. However, if we each focus on our mutual responsibility to love and serve each other, we are participating in a relationship of submission without much effort. To express it in terms of marriage, when one spouse focuses on submission and the other spouse worries about it, a marriage becomes distorted and unhealthy. But when a wife seeks to love and serve her husband with her whole being, and when a husband seeks to lay down his life for his wife with his whole person, the issue of who submits never emerges and there is no tension between them. Not only in our marriages, but in but all of our relationships, all of them can be transformed when we learn how to love, honor, and obey the image, the person of Christ in each other. 
In Christ, husbands and wives and men and women together are dependent upon the grace and mercy of God. We have nothing without Jesus, and therefore we are to be mutually submitted to each other in our reliance upon Christ for such blessings. Male or female, husband or wife, we have no basis for domineering, for asserting our rights over others. Beloved, the battle of the sexes is over. The curse is undone. Our shared victory is in Christ. We are all children of God. We are together a royal and holy priesthood. We are together fellow heirs of the same grace and hope. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.